Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Just an honor to have you with us. It is so good to see all of you. Morgan and I have been gone for two weeks now, and uh, it was very difficult to be gone from our church family for such a long time. And so it is such a blessing to be back, and I'm so grateful and thankful to be back with you this morning. The book of 1 Thessalonians, I believe, is a very interesting book because it's going to guide our study this morning as we talk about how to prepare for eternity. Now, we're in the middle of a sermon series about God's great expectations, and we're asking the question, what does God expect of you and me? One of the things that I believe God tells us in 1 Thessalonians, the entirety of the book, is that He expects of us to be prepared for eternity. Now, you and I know this. We prepare for all types of things in our life. If we're a Bible class teacher, we prepare for our Bible classes on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. If you are expecting to retire soon, you are preparing for your retirement. Maybe you're expecting to take a trip in the next few months, and right now you're preparing for that trip. All throughout our life, we make preparations for everything that we do. And as Christians, it should be no different. That we, as God's chosen people, are making preparations for eternity by following what God wants us to do. Now, the reason that I've chosen the book 1 Thessalonians to cover this topic is for a number of different reasons. So I asked the question, why did Paul write the book of 1 Thessalonians? And three main things pop out to me, really 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But Paul wrote these books for three very important reasons. The first is that the people he was writing to, they had a wrong belief concerning the second coming of Christ. In fact, many of them thought that Christ was coming so soon that they quit their jobs They stopped working, and they were living off the collection that was being brought in. They were eating bread that was not their own, and they were being lazy. Paul calls them in 2 Thessalonians idle busybodies. They weren't really doing anything. And so he he wrote this letter to correct that. He said, no, you need to work. You need to work even though Christ may come back. You need to be prepared and be doing your duty as as an individual. Secondly, he says that he wrote this letter because they had some misconceptions about the resurrection. They were afraid that if they weren't alive when Jesus came back, they weren't going to raise from the dead. And he wrote them this letter to fix that misconception. Thirdly and finally, he wrote them this letter because there were strong present persecutions. They were going through a lot, and he wanted to help them through. Now, I don't know about you... But I'm extremely thankful for what I call the honey bench. Many of you have seen this as you're walking through the mall. This is the bench that the complimentary mall staff puts there so that you don't have to stand as a man while your wife shops. 
It's the honey bench. And I'm very thankful for this bench because occasionally as Morgan walks into a store, I have somewhere to sit down to rest while she's in there. And she's in there. And she's in there. Some, uh, sometimes they look like this. You see men gathered along these seats and these benches and they're gathered there just waiting on their wives to come out and occasionally you see something like this. You see, I'm very thankful for this, but I'm also thankful for modern technology because a lot of times while I sit on this bench, instead of just watching people walk by, I can get on my phone, get on Facebook, read emails, Check out what's going on. There's one particular instance I have in mind where Morgan walked into a store and I sat down on this bench and I was waiting for her and I was on my phone checking uh, Facebook and Instagram and, and replying to emails and all these different things and then my phone died. And I sat there and I said to myself, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do until she gets back? The question that we're going to answer is, we prepare for eternity this morning and we study about preparing for eternity as a question the Thessalonians had. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning in verse 9, Paul said, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. They were converted. They became Christians. And to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, Paul wrote this letter because they were concerned about Jesus coming back. They quit their jobs. Paul wrote this letter because they were concerned they wouldn't be raised from the dead when Jesus returned. He wrote because they were being persecuted and they didn't know what to do. It's like they asked Paul, we're Christians, but what do we do now? Between now and when Jesus comes, do I quit my job? Do I try to live long enough to be there for the resurrection? What do I do now? And so the question we're going to ask this morning is, what do I do while I'm waiting for heaven? What am I supposed to do to prepare myself for eternity? As I wait to meet God, what does He want me to do? Point number one is this. We need to listen, listen, listen. We're going to do a lot of reading out of the book of 1 Thessalonians, so go ahead and open up your Bibles there. There's a number of passages I want to read for each section of Scripture. The first one being this. Point number one, Paul tells us, as we prepare to meet God for eternity, we need to listen, listen, listen. Notice what he says about the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. And we're going to follow this section of Scripture as we read through the book. Verse 8, Paul says this. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, But even after we have suffered before and were spiritually treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in God to speak to you. The gospel of God in much conflict, chapter 2 and verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is truth, the word of God, which also effectually works in you who believe. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day praying exceedingly, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Chapter 4 and verse 18. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The parallel passage, chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, Therefore comfort each other 
and edify one another just as you also are doing. Paul said to them, when we came to you, we preached to you the gospel of truth. Chapter 2 and verse 2 and chapter 2 and verse 13. But not only that, when we preached it to you, you received it. And because of that, chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, your faith has sounded forth to other people. He said, when we came to you, we shared with you the truth of God and you reciprocated by sharing it with other people. You see, as Christians, if we are going to prepare for God, we need to listen, 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 and then we need to share what we've heard. You see, I can't be prepared to meet the Lord if I haven't listened to the word of truth and then sounded it forth to other people. I need to be doing this as I prepare. Open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33. This is one of my favorite passages in God's Word. Ezekiel chapter 33 beginning in verse 1. God speaking to Ezekiel says to him concerning the things of Israel, how they had left God and how Ezekiel was to be the one that told them that they had left God and they needed to repent. Notice Ezekiel 33 beginning in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their, underline this word, watchman. I've made him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming to the land, if he blows the trumpet and he warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning... If the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own hands. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he didn't take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes the warning will save his life. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming towards the city, that is, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes, and it takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, and his blood will be required at the watchman's hands. Verse 7. I, sometimes this verse just gives me chills when I read it. So, you, son of man, I have made you a watchman. You see, folks, if we continue to read down through this passage, it teaches us very clearly that God placed upon Ezekiel the responsibility to sound the trumpet of warning. You are not following God's law, and so I need to share with you that. And if I share it with you, it's on you whether you believe it or not. But if I don't ever share it with you, well, I've made a grave mistake. You see, folks, if you are a Christian this morning and you're sitting in this assembly, I want you to fully know that in one way or another, God has made you a watchman. And as you read from the Word of God, as it says in Ezekiel 33 and verse 1, So again the Word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of Israel. God spoke to Ezekiel. He said, Now it's time for you to speak to others. Folks, if you have a Bible in your lap, God has spoken to you. Now God has made you a watchman. Your job is to listen, 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 and then share this with other people. And if you don't do that, unfortunately, you will not be prepared to meet God in eternity. You won't be prepared to stand before Him and say, Yes, I shared the word of the Lord. Yes, I taught people your truth. Yes, I told them how you died on the cross for Him. If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we need to listen to the preaching and then share it with others. But not only that, we need to listen to the screams. And this may seem like a strange passage, but if you open up, open up to Luke 16, Luke chapter 16 is a, maybe a familiar uh, account to you. 
In the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 19, it tells us about the rich man and Lazarus. And when we read about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, we learn a very valuable lesson about our souls and eternity. Open up to Luke 16 and let's read together beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores and who was laid at his gate. Luke begins by comparing these two people as he records the words of Jesus. You got the rich man who did great in life. And you got the beggar who's having a hard time. And notice what he says. The beggar, Lazarus, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, you may think, well, how many crumbs really fall from a rich man's table? Well, if you understand the time that Jesus is talking in, folks, they didn't have Balney or Viva paper towels. They didn't just go, I went to the store the other day, Morgan said, I need paper towels. I said, paper towels are this expensive? How did I never know this? Because they didn't have paper towels then. And so when a man got his hands dirty, he didn't just go over to the paper towel roll, pull off two sheets and wipe his hands. What he did was he would take old bread when his hands were dirty, and he would use that bread to clean his hands. And as that bread fell to the ground, those were the crumbs fell from the rich man. You see, Lazarus was in such bad, desperate need that he just wanted to eat what, what the rich man cleaned his hands with. He was that hungry. Verse 22. So it was that the beggar died. He was carried to the angel, by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. He was buried. Being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between you and us, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who, are, who want to pass from here to there cannot, and those from there to us cannot pass. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment." Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let him hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, if one goes to them from the dead, he will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I believe when the rich man went to torment, his heart was softened. As all the people in earth, when they stand before the throne of God and, be, and, and are judged on the judgment day, their hearts will be softened as well. I've heard many atheists who have said, when I stand before the throne of God and I see the God I read about in the Bible, I don't want to be in His heaven any more than I do right now. Folks, that's a lie. The Bible says, before God every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The rich man understood his situation, his predicament, and his heart was softened. But that's not the most important thing out of this story. I want you to notice that the rich man understood his situation was so bad that he stood in torment, not being able to help himself, and said, Abraham, just send Lazarus that he can tell my family. You see, folks, a couple of years ago, Morgan's mother died from breast cancer. Terrible disease cancer is. It hurts a lot of people, and most of us in this room, if not all of us, are affected by it. Let me tell you something. If Morgan, in a few days, were to go to the doctor and they were to say, Morgan, we're so sorry. You have the same type of cancer that your mother had. But here's the good news. We found a cure. And we can get rid of it just like that. 
Now, how strange would it be for Morgan to look at the doctor and say, No, I'm good. I don't want the cure because my mother didn't get it. And because she didn't get it, I don't want it. You see, cancer was good enough for my mother. It'll be good enough for me. You see, folks, when we talk about spending eternity in hell, you and I need to understand that while we have breath in our lungs, there are people in torment who are screaming, Will you just send somebody so they'll believe? Send somebody so that they'll know to change. If the situation I just described to you happened and there was a cure available, I guarantee you Morgan's mother would be screaming, Take it. Take it. Folks, we need to, as we prepare for eternity, be listening to the screams. As we enter eternity, there will be no more chance to change our mind. You see, the rich man was so adamant about this, he begged God to send a miracle. He said, send a miracle to my family that they may see. Let Lazarus rise from the dead and they'll believe. You know what the response was? I've already sent the miracle. When God inspired the word to be written, He sent the miracle to prove to us that He is the God of the universe and that He came to save our souls. You see, folks, if we're going to be prepared for eternity, we need to listen, listen, listen. Listen to what God's word says and share it. Listen to what people who may have gone on before us may be saying from eternity's side of this life and be willing to submit and obey. Point number two. If we are going to be prepared for eternity, we need to eliminate. We need to eliminate. Let's go back to the book of 1 Thessalonians and and read a few more passages again. First of all, if we're going to be prepared for eternity, we need to listen and share. Listen and share. That's our job. But not only that, we need to get rid of a few things. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Notice what Paul says here. He says... So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we have preached to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you. Who believe. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we want to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory. And our joy, chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, he said, For this reason, when I, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and your love, and that you always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted. Concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Folks, if we're going to be prepared for eternity, there are a few things that we as Christians need to eliminate. 
And the first one is that we need to eliminate any confusion. I want you to notice the things that Paul discussed here. In these passages that we read, chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, he constantly talked about how much he loved these people. How he would do anything for them. How he was so concerned to them. That last passage, chapter 3, he said, I was so worried about you, I sent Timothy to you just to figure out how you were doing. And when I found out you were doing good, oh, how it made my heart glad. You see, folks, if we're going to be prepared for eternity, we need to eliminate any confusion among our relationships and our duty to one another as Christians. And you can open up to Matthew chapter 25 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 25. This may be a familiar passage to you, but I believe it speaks to us a very strong spiritual truth. Notice, beginning in verse 31, the scene that Jesus sets. The Son of Man, Jesus, comes in His glory, and the holy angels with Him. Then He will sit on the throne of His glory. We're talking about the end of time. And all the nations will be gathered before Him the day of judgment. And He will separate them one from another, the dividing of the people that have all ever lived. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. You've got two categories of people. And the king will say to those on the right, hold your thoughts, let's go down to verse 30 or verse 41. He says something to those on the right, then in verse 41 he says something to those on the left. He will say to those on the left, depart from me. Go back to verse 30, uh, 33. He will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. You've got two classes of people, the one on the right, the one on the left. On the left, he says, Get away from me, I never knew you. On the right, he says, Come into heaven. Now, why are these two people given two different destinations? Let's begin reading in verse 41. He will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting life, prepared for the devil and his angels. And here's why I'm sending you there. Verse 42. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, can you imagine on the day of judgment... The people who are on the left hand of God, as he stands before them, he says, depart from me because you didn't do the... Could you imagine that scene, the chaos? Lord, Lord, when did we see you? I pray, if we, Lord, if we would have seen you, we would have done something. We promise. Just tell us when we didn't. Let me go back and change my decision. If I would have seen you, I would have done something for you. Listen to what they said. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, in prison? When did we not minister to you? Lord, just tell me when it was, and I will change it if I can. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Can you imagine the confusion on the day of judgment? Folks, we need to, as Christians, prepare for eternity by eliminating any confusion. Sometimes... And th th this is not an indictment. This is, this, this is a suggestion. Sometimes we become so focused on ourselves in this life. We become so focused on what we need, what we can get, what we can do, how we can be better, how our life can be better, how our financial situation can be better, how our vacations can be better, how our, 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 our. 
Let's get rid of the confusion. It's not about us. My life is not lived to please myself. It's lived to serve God and to love others. So if we're going to prepare for eternity, we need to eliminate any confusion. But that's not the only thing that Paul talks about here. He also tells us that we need to eliminate any division. Go back to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now remember the situation of the church in this area. Remember what he's saying? They're confused about eternity. And so they're, they're essentially telling Paul, what am I supposed to do until Jesus comes back? He says, I want you to hear the word and continue to spread it. He says, I want you to get rid of any confusion. Mold those relationships together. He said, you know how we worked blamelessly among you. How sincere we were. How we helped you. How we loved you. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Maybe you have a different passage of Scripture. Maybe it says those who are idle. Maybe you have a different translation that says those who are unsubordinate or insubordinate. Whatever he is saying, he's saying warn those who are doing nothing. Warn the unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil to evil to another. But always pursue what is both good for yourselves and good for all. Paul says, I want you to pursue what is good for yourselves, you as the church. But I also want you to pursue what is good for all people. I don't want you to be divided. I want you to uphold one another. I want you to encourage one another. I want you to warn those who aren't doing what's right. I want you to be of the same mind and of the same judgment, Romans chapter 1. That there be no divisions among you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Let's make sure that if we're preparing for eternity, we're getting rid of any division that's among us. We're getting rid of any confusion about what we're supposed to do. The goal is for us to care for one another, to care for those who are outside, and to serve God with all of our heart. That's how we prepare for eternity. Thirdly and finally, if we're going to prepare for eternity, we need to walk the walk. I think this is the most important point that Paul makes. He lays out to them very clearly their responsibility as Christians. You are supposed to live a certain way. Let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and read the passages that go along with this throughout Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, notice what Paul says. He says in verse 2, We thank God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of love, verse 3, your, your work of faith, rather, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Paul says, when I pray, I remember what type of people you were. And I'm so thankful for how hardworking you were, how much you loved one another, how much faith you had. Chapter 1 and verse 6. You became followers of us in the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. You became examples to them who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. He said, your faith is so great, I don't even have to say anything about you to people. They know you. They hear of you. 
chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, For in fact we told you before we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. And our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us for you and brought us the good news of your faith and love, that you always have a good remembrance of us, that you greatly desire to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction, in everything we're going through, the sufferings, the tribulation, in all of our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning your faith. The fact that you are faithful is giving me the comfort to deal with these situations. For now we live. If you stand fast in the Lord. Folks, if we're going to be prepared for eternity, three very important things we need to do. We need to listen and share. We need to eliminate any confusion and division among us. And we need to walk the walk. That is, we need to work the work that God has given us to do. And part of that means that I'm going to keep on keeping on. You know, my dad used to say this all the time. Say, son, you just got to keep on keeping on. It took me a long time to figure out what that meant. But as Christians, even though hard times come, we keep on keeping on. You see, that's the thing about being a Christian, being a child of God. People can say what they want about you. They can think what they want about you. They can try and tear you apart, but you have something better in your future. This isn't your home. You have somewhere better to go. This is simply a place you're traveling through trying to take as many people as you can with you. We have to keep on keeping on. In chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul says this, But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Down in verse 10, he says, You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That is, sometimes we had to discipline you, and sometimes we were easy with you. You know, there's a difference between a father that corrects his child and a mother that's nursing her child. A mother that's nursing her child, she is gentle with that child and she is easy. She supports the child's head. She cares for that child. But a father who disciplines his children, he tells them that this is the way that you're going to live. Paul said, we want you to keep on keeping on. Even though sometimes we were hard to you. Even though sometimes we were easy with you. You've got to keep walking the walk. But not only that, he says that you need to work on yourself. You know, I tell, I, I, I've shared this with you before. And, and I did not even know that this passage existed until I started studying for this lesson. I'd never read it before. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. My dad always tells me, he says, son, you can always do better. And sometimes that's really great, great advice. But sometimes I'm like, dad, I did good. Just tell me I did good, you know. He's always like, yeah, son, that's good. But you can always do better. You can always get a little better. You can always do better. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. When I read this, Mark Posey popped into my head. I saw him. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so to all, toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You, you hear the compliment? He says, hey, your love is great. You're doing a good job. But you can always do better. You need to increase more and more. That you aspire to lead. Notice, we're going to stick on this for just a moment. We're going to see our last point and I'll offer the invitation. 
Notice what he says. He says that you see there in verse 11, you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That, that you may walk properly to those, to those who are outside, that is unbelievers, and that you may lack nothing. Folks, one of the most wonderful things that you can do in your marriage is to stop figuring out how different your spouse can do things and start thinking about how different you can do things. You ever been in that position? You're like, well, if you would just do that, you would just do that. We would just be happy. It would be perfect if you would just fix yourself. You ever done that? I see a couple of smiles. I know y'all have. I don't have to hide it. You felt that way before. I have. Notice what Paul says. You need to be working on yourself. Your, your love is great. Keep working. Keep doing it. Increase more and more. Get better. Love more. Love deeper. Care for people more. Notice what he says in verse 11. You aspire to lead a quiet life. This is in comparison to chapter, uh, the second book, 2 Thessalonians. We read where he said that people were being idle busybodies. They quit working, but they were all in everybody's business, nitpicking everything that everybody had done. If you read 2 Thessalonians, that's the picture you get. They were just trying to do everything for everybody, and they were in everybody's lives, and they weren't helping themselves. They weren't living faithful, but they were worrying about everybody else living faithful. Folks, if we're going to get to heaven, we need to walk the walk. And that means I need to take care of the log that's coming out of my eye before I take care of the speck in my brother's eye. I need to lead a quiet life. I need to mind my own business. I need to work with my hands. Folks, God wants us to be prepared for eternity. Part of that is listening to what God says and sharing it. Part of that is walking the walk that He wants me to walk. Part of that is eliminating the bad things from my life and confusion and just working for the Lord. He wants me to keep on keeping on. He wants me to work on myself, but finally, He wants me to live saved. This is where we're going to extend the invitation. You can go home and read chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 this afternoon. Very inspiring passage where Paul says, You need to live as children of light. You're not children of darkness anymore. Live as a child of God. I've often thought that one of the hardest things to do is to convince somebody that they're saved. And I don't know why that is because I've felt that too. You know, sometimes we do feel like we could always do better. And that's true. As a Christian, you can always do better. But let me tell you this morning, John talks about it in 1 John. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're saved if you're living faithful to God by doing His, His will and His word, by being obedient to Him. And when you adopt that mindset that I know God is going to come get me because I've been washed by His Son's blood and I'm doing everything I can to live for Him, when you have that as your mind, it's like the chains of life have been knocked off of you. It's that old saying that motivational speakers often use. If you knew that whatever you did, you would succeed, what would you do? Folks, as a Christian, if you're living for the Lord, everything you're going to do is going to succeed because ultimately your success is in heaven, not here. 
You need to live as a saved person. If we're preparing for eternity, what do we need to do? We need to listen and share. Share that word. Be the watchman that Ezekiel was. If we're going to be prepared for eternity, we need to eliminate some things. Get rid of the confusion in life. Here's the thing. There are people in this world, and don't listen to them, that try to make Christianity the most complicated thing that has ever hit the world. It's not. It's very simple. God wants you to be obedient to Him and to care for others. And if you do those two things, it outlies all laws that God has given to us. Be obedient to Him. Eliminate the confusion. Work for the Lord. And finally, walk the walk. Be what God wants you to be. Live the way God wants you to live. Keep on keeping. Folks, I know sometimes life throws a wrench in your plans. I know that. But as Paul said, we of all people, if we have hope in this world only, we're of all people most pitiable. You see, you've got something greater beyond. So even though life throws a wrench in your plans, who cares? It might be difficult, I know. You've got something better you're working towards. Finally, live, live as a saved person. Know that God has made a promise to you that if you, if you will be obedient to Him, if you'll walk in the light as He is in the light, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, then the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you of all sin. If you happen to have a sin in your life that you're dealing with, later in that chapter... 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. If you live faithful to him, his blood will wash you. And if you make a mistake, you say, Lord, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. He'll forgive you. And you can know that you'll have eternal life. These things are written that you may know you have eternal life. Maybe the case is tonight that you haven't been preparing for eternity. Maybe the case is that you haven't been working hard. Here's the thing. And we're going to close out, I promise. I know I've said that a few times. Here's the thing. We spend so much time preparing for everything else. We spend time preparing for all of life's great moments. But it's not just a one hour a day preparation. Try, try saving up for vacation and paying your bills working one hour a day. See how, see how far that gets you. You might be going to, to vacation at the Motel 6, right? You're not going to get very far. Same goes for heaven. We can't just prepare for heaven by lackadaisically doing what God might want us to do. We're not sure. We never study. We want to be in God's presence for eternity, but we never come into His presence during our life. Make sure we're preparing for eternity. Do everything that you can. Fight tooth and nail as a watchman, listening and sharing. As an eliminator, getting rid of confusion and division. And as a walker, doing what God wants you to do. If you have a need tonight, or this morning rather, please come as we stand and sing.